This is the EPLOG audio experience. Hi, this is Kunal Kapoor and I'm the host for Podcast MD by Keto. Before we get into it, let me tell you how Podcast MD by Keto came about. As most of you may know, I'm also one of the founders of Keto, one of the country's leading crowdfunding platforms. Medical crowdfunding has been one of the biggest causes for us at Keto. Over 500 crores have been raised to successfully fund urgent medical cases and save lives. But sadly, the number of people in India not able to afford healthcare has only been rising. And so we've increased our focus on healthcare to make it more accessible and affordable. While being unable to secure funds for treatment is obviously one of the biggest concerns for both patient and their family. We found there were gaps beyond as well. When someone is suddenly hit with a serious medical condition, there's so much one isn't prepared for. One may or may not be prepared to handle the finances, but everything else that comes with it, one certainly isn't prepared for. And that's what Podcast MD by Keto is about. Trying to understand everything around, the emotional aspect, dealing with doctors in hospitals, making the difficult choices and just coping with it all. Another thing that we came to realize in working closely with healthcare was that in spite of increased efforts and awareness, the number of cancer-related cases are only increasing. And so, we decided that in our first season, we're going to take on the big C. I'm going to be chatting with cancer survivors from different backgrounds to find out how they dealt with everything that comes with the disease. We want survivors to share their experiences as that could inspire and help others get through a difficult period in their life and also help them understand more about the disease. Also, if you have a similar story that you think can be a source of inspiration to others, please write to us on mystory@keto.org. We would love to hear from you. And there's some good news. Uh, Podcast MD by Keto is now on all Alexa-enabled devices. All you have to do is ask Alexa to play Keto Podcast. Our guest for today is Kanchan Daniel, one of the most fearless and dynamic people I've met. Kanchan was diagnosed with cancer when she was 17, fiercely combating three chemos and eight surgeries. Kanchan kicked cancer with a strong willpower. Thank you so much, first of all, for joining us in the show. Thank you for having me. And thank you for coming all the way from Mahim. Yes. In this crazy traffic. It was quite a journey, <laughs> but I made it. Really, really nice to see you and really nice to have you on the show. Thank you. So, uh, let's let's start right from the beginning, uh, from your childhood. You grew up in Bombay. Yes. Okay. So, I grew up in Bombay. I did everything that a kid does. Went to school. Had a normal school life and uh, then uh, I went to college and it's after college that everything started to, you know, right. kind of fall out of place and right. fall into place as well, if I may say so. So you grew up in Mahim? I grew up in Mahim. Right. I've so which school? Shivaji uh, Park. Girl. Shivaji Park. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Bombay Scottish. Oh, you went to Scottish? Yes. Okay. I went to Jamna Bay. There was this constant... Oh, rivalry they, they between Scottish and Jamna. Fight is it, with is each still, other. Really? Yes, they do still fight with each other. Wow, some things don't change. Yes, they don't. <laughs> in, yeah. Facebook. And then college was, uh, was college was also in Bombay. Right. So I studied at Nationals. I did my eleventh uh, and twelfth grade at Nationals. I did my BA and my MA also at Nationals. Right. So it was all over here. It was very convenient to be close to a hospital. That's why. Acha, so that was the reason that you yes, uh, chose that was Nationals. The reason. Yeah. 
And it was it was at about 16 that you discovered that you had cancer, right? At 17, actually. I just finished 12th grade and I was actually preparing for my medical entrance examination. So I had, uh, I, I was preparing for that and, you know, I was running around for admissions after 12th grade. Hmm. And then suddenly, you know, everything just literally took off from there. So it was like a whirlwind. I, and we never knew because there were no signs of it at all. There were no signs. So it was basically, I had started driving after 12th grade because mm. I wanted a car. Right. And um, I used to go for driving classes in the morning. And it seemed very silly at that point of time where I thought I had a very sharp pain in my right thigh. So mm. I thought it was, you know, probably I'm driving too much or mm. something of that <laughs> sort. And uh, so we didn't make much of it. Uh, with that, in retrospect, when I look back, I also had like an incessant fever, a fever mm. that just wouldn't go away. And I had gone to the hospital a couple of times, mm. but every time they'd give me medicines and, you know, I'd be fine, but the fever would return. So mm. we thought it's something to do with maybe I'm exerting myself too much or I'm just not eating right or, you know, it's probably uh, just not being healthy. Right. So uh, one day it got really bad along with the pain in my right thigh. And that's when we decided that, okay, we need to go see our physician, our general physician. So we went to Dr. Khande Parker, who's our family doctor. Right. And we went there. And all he did was after the checkup was he touched my tummy. Mm. And from there, he said that, you know what? Um, I think you need to go in for a sonography immediately. So um, So what was your reaction to that? Uh, I didn't know what was happening. So I was like, okay, sonography, sonography. I don't like sonographies because you can't go to the washroom. So I was like, okay, that's the worst part about the sonography. So the next day we went in for the sonography and uh, there was a radiologist. He was um, looking at the screen and he looks at the screen and he turns around and he tells us that, uh, you know, there's something, there's a mass that's so big that it's even, uh, it's obstructing other things on the screen itself. So I cannot figure out what it is. So we didn't know what it was either Mm. at that point of time. Mm. And uh, then we went back home and, you know, obviously we were not satisfied with, I mean, all of this is happening. Suddenly somebody's telling us that there's something so big that uh, even we can't see it on screen. Mm. So we went back home and I remember my mom, she called up her doctor, Mm. Dr. Naza Sharia. Um, who also delivered me as a baby. Mm. And um, she called him up and I remember her telling him that, uh, you know what, all of this is going on and what do we do about it? And he said, I need her to come by my clinic tomorrow itself. Mm. So next day we went to the clinic and uh, I think, I don't remember the conversation with my mom exactly, but it was serious enough for, you know, uh, my parents as well as my aunt and my uncle to accompany us to his clinic. Mm. So we went to his clinic in Bandra and I sat in the car and they all went up. Mm. When they came back down, I think my aunt was quite emotional. So, I mean, I looked at them and I was like, you know, something's going on, right? which nobody can point out at the moment, mm. but it's something serious. So um, they came back to the car and then they told me that you need to be admitted to the hospital now. From that moment, the closest hospital was um, Holy Family Hospital in Mm. Bandra. So I was admitted immediately and I was scheduled for surgery the next day itself. 
So when did they tell you that it was uh, cancer? This was after my surgery. They told you after the they surgery. They told me after the surgery. In fact, the surgery when I went into the surgery, there was this inkling that I might not make it back out of surgery because it was a dangerous surgery. Considering the fact that I had almost reached uh, stage four, so I was at three C. So uh, that's that's towards the end. Mm-hmm. So. Once I was out of surgery, once I was, you know, conscious and talking sense again, this other doctor, very pretty lady, she walks into the room and she is pacing up and down the room. Mm. So I'm like, what's going on? And uh, I think she was more anxious than I was. And then she finally comes up to me. And by this time, I had, you know, I had picked up on keywords. I picked up like tumor, I picked up on surgery. Nobody had said cancer as such, but I had this inkling. Right, but you you didn't ask them questions. You went, weren't you like, what's going on? I did, I did actually. Uh, but um, she came up to me, and I I think uh, uh, she didn't have any other way to tell me. But she asked me, she's like, uh, "Do you know what you have?" And I just took a wild guess, and I was like, "Do I have cancer?" And then she was like, "Yes." And she looked way more relieved to tell me that I had cancer that point of time than right. you know I was. But uh, at that moment. Uh, my reaction was I, I I didn't cry I didn't do the you know why me you know curse my destiny any of those things because right at that point I just decided that okay I have cancer and I am going to kick it out mm. of my system I'm mm. going to kick its butt mm. so that was what I went with during the entire journey of fighting something like cancer right so yeah that's where it all began but coming back to the symptoms of it. How long uh, was this uh, fever persistent for? I think it was. It got bad just six months before we kind of... So six I, months it was consistently there? Yeah, it was there. But you know, you'd never think it's yeah, something of course like not. cancer. But there were other signs as well. So I had lost a lot of weight. Um, hmm. you know, my appetite had shrunk. I was tired all the time. I remember we were traveling abroad and we were in the flight and I used to get incessant nosebleeds and I was like okay maybe it's because you know we're traveling so much and uh, you know the pressure is has something to do with it my uh, toenails had started uh, kind of just falling off you know you could like literally pick them and I just God. thought you know uh, maybe I'm not taking good care of myself and uh, we went to various doctors and got supplements and all of those things. So, and there used to be that incessant pain in my right thigh. And none of the doctors said that there was a possibility of something uh, far more serious and you should do more tests? No, I don't think so. I don't think we went to a doctor with that um, complaint. Intent, right. Yeah. So it was only when this got really bad mm. and the pain got unbearable with the fever is when we decided to visit our family physician. And that's when he just t- he just had to touch my tummy. And he knew. And he knew. And it was a tumor that was so big. It was four kgs of a tumor. Oh my God. That are literally taking the shape of my belly. So I thought I had like great abs or something because <laughs> it was like rock hard. And you would you couldn't see it at all. You, you wouldn't know that there was a tumor, that there was something inside me that was literally eating me up. But there were signs on the outside. Right which uh, now in retrospect were very obvious telltale signs of, you know, something's going wrong. But you were still going to like college and going out and all that was, everything was pretty much normal. I was doing all of those things except for uh, the fact that I was uh, tired a lot. Mm. 
I didn't have any energy. I used to just come home. I used to just go to sleep. And, you know, my uh, granny would keep wondering, is like, is there something wrong with you? Are you doing something? And call him like, no, I'm just tired. And I couldn't find any reason for that. So we thought, you know, we attributed it to, you know, working, going to college, you know, yeah. having fun and you're just tired after college. Right. So that was one of the things that I could point out was a sign. Right. And how long was the treatment after that? We started in June 2008 and ended in Feb 2009. So about, so about nine eight, months. Yeah, about nine months. I went through um, eight surgeries. I had oh, eight, eight surgeries. surgeries. Yeah. Um, and I had three cycles of chemo. But eight surgeries, what, what sort of surgeries? So they were major surgeries and then there were like minor surgeries and procedures that I had to go through. So some of the major surgeries, one of them was the first surgery that they did because mm. they were like, we have to get the tumor out now. And that as was a risky surgery because um, it was at such an advanced stage that mm. it was literally eating up everything and it could have spread very quickly. Uh, so that was one surgery. Mm. So after a, one chemotherapy, when I went back home, so I was allowed to go home maybe for three to four days. I've you know, Apart from that, I spent all my time in the hospital. So the next nine months were in the hospital? Yes. So I barely got like three to four days. And so when I went back home, I was allowed to eat you know, things like dal, chawal uh, in moderation. Hmm. So I had some of that. And the same night, I started vomiting everything hmm. to the point where I was just, um, you know, I was just vomiting. Constantly bile. throwing up. Yes, I was constantly throwing up and it was painful. So it felt like something was actually, there was a knot in my tummy. Which was the case. Mm. So the cancer literally formed bands around the intestines as well. So they weren't allowing anything to go in. Everything had to come out. So I had to be rushed back to the hospital, mm. have another major surgery to open me up again. And then, you know, free my intestines of those bands. And that surgery, I could say, is, is, is the most painful surgery I've had to like, you know, I remember coming out of the surgery, coming out of anesthesia, screaming in pain because it was that painful. But, um, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah, it does. It's, it's made you stronger for sure. Yeah, for sure. And so what were the other surgeries? You said there were eight surgeries. Yeah, there were eight surgeries. Then there were minor procedures that I had to go through. Like, so I had to have this thing called a port. So mm. all my veins had started failing when I got chemotherapy because right. uh, it was a little too intense for my body to mm. take. So I had to have another surgery where they opened uh, my chest up and they had this little device uh, called the port right. through which they put a needle. It's better than actually piercing your veins every time. And then I had other surgeries because my veins had started failing. They had to have central lines. Those started failing. So a couple of things that, you know, really went on in the middle. But the two surgeries, the first one and the second look have been the main surgeries. How did you sort of stay positive through all this? I mean, you were in hospital for nine months, yeah. eight surgeries, yeah. three chemos. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with the kind of support system that I had. Right. So my family was super, super, super supportive. And uh, there hasn't been one moment where, you know, anyone in my family has done this whole why her. Or, mm. uh, they haven't given me a moment to feel bad about what I was going through. Right. And uh, that combined with, you know, what I told myself that I am going to fight it. Whether or not I win this or not doesn't matter. But I'm going to try to, you know, tooth and nail to 
try and conquer this uh, disease. And of course, uh, my doctors also kept a very, very positive atmosphere. My doctors were super, they almost became my friends at the end of those uh, eight to nine months. Right. So I still keep in touch with them over text and stuff. So it's just a lot of it has to do with people with your support around system. you. Yes. And, and just a positive attitude. Right. I've heard that a lot in the other people that I've spoken to as well. Yes. And they've all said that, you know, the, one of the main things was the support system. Uh, I think, yes. you know, when, when you're fighting something like this, it's really important to have people around you yes, that absolutely. give you that strength. Yeah. So who all are there in your family? Uh, so I have mom and dad and right. my sister. Hmm. And then I have my grandparents and grandmother. My entire family was involved in this. All your cousins and uncles, Yes, my aunts. cousins. Yes, we kept my cousins out because they couldn't like, you know, fathom what was going on. Right. But then now they know as well and they really take care of me uh, because they're younger than me. So uh, my entire family was involved on my mom's side, on my dad's side. Everybody was there in different ways. In mm. fact, uh, I remember after surgery, I couldn't walk because I had been on the bed for so long that I had bed sores and, you know, I was generally weak. And at that point of time, I was afraid to walk mm. because it was painful also because I still had my stitches. So I remember my uncle, he got out a wheelchair for me and he took me around the entire hospital, you know. He just took me on the wheelchair. My family was just there and it kept, they kept the atmosphere uh, so pleasant, so light and uh, so strong. Mm. Yeah. And your friends as well? Yeah, I had friends. Also, another thing that I found and probably something very important that I wanted to address is that a lot of people, and these are educated people that I have seen, come across and say, uh, don't go there. She has cancer. Hmm. You're not going to get cancer. The stigma of... The stigma of any disease. Right. So there were people who actually, you know, would say things like that. Like, Almost like it's some like yeah, disease that can be passed on through the air. I mean, it's... Yeah. I mean, I'd hear about people who said things like this. And there were people who said things like this. I mean, my friends were like super supportive. But there were these other people and it baffled me because I was like, how can you be so aware right, uh, in today's world, but be unaware of something like this? That, you know, you're... And I didn't even feel bad. I didn't take it personally. But, you know, there are still people out there who will say things like this. Yeah. Don't go next door. She has cancer. Or you might get, from, get you the might get cancer. The number of times oh, I my have God, heard that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The number and of like times. And like you're saying, it's, it's like educated people. It's, it's not even educated like. Educated people. It's educated people. And I think really like uh, awareness is so important hmm. about anything, about mental health, about cancer. So just people just become aware and stop putting their own ideas around things like this and take it a little more seriously. Right. Yeah. So after you were out of hospital, you went back to college or they advised you to sort of stay at home and rest for a bit? Um, they did say that I need to like chill out, right. which is, but I, I mean, they also said that you can continue your education and stuff, but it's preferable if you find something that's, you know, close by, which is why I had holy family over here. Hmm. And then that's why I decided to um, go to nationals because hmm. it was close by and in case something happened. Hmm. It was easy to just, you know, move to the hospital. So I was allowed to get back to studying and I did I did want to get back to studying. I was like eager to get back to mm. doing stuff mm. that I wanted to do earlier. And in fact, I discovered things that 
after fighting it, after getting better, during the course of, you know, getting better, I discovered, you know, maybe there are things that I want to do after this experience. Mm. Like psychology Mm. was one thing that I wanted to do. So I was so sure that I am going to pursue a career in psychology and maybe give back to the community in Mm. some way, Mm. if it's possible. Yeah. So I did get back to college. And what was the sort of changes that you had to make in your life? Um, I just I mean, obviously there were like, you had to rest a lot more and yes. I'm sure the diet had to change, but any other changes you had to make? Apart from all the sleeping and the food, which I'm still careful about, hmm. mentally, I feel like I became a lot stronger. I felt like I grew up in hmm. that time. Hmm. So I was 18 when I was better and then I felt much older and I felt, uh, stronger and at that point of time changes in terms of you know I'm ready to take anything head on that's one change that really happened after Mm. I got better and when I went back to uh, college and studying so whatever it was I was like okay I'm going to face this head on right and you said that your food are things that you still take care of yes I do. I am very careful, especially because it did affect my intestines. Mm. So I am very careful with the food that I eat, although I love food. But I have to be careful about what I eat and Mm. how much of it I eat. Mm. So that's probably the only precaution and enough rest because I'm always juggling between two lives, which is... Which uh, let's get to your two lives, which is psychology and... And music. And being a musician. Yes. So how did that happen? Do you think that this whole experience that you went through was somewhere responsible for you discovering your love for music? You said there was a favorite song that you listened to during your hospitalization. Yes. So I wasn't receiving chemo very well Hmm. at a certain point where it became serious again. And they put me in the ICCU where they said that, okay, you know what? Chances are very skim again Hmm. because she's not receiving the chemotherapy well. So one of the few things that Uh, I was allowed in the ICCU was an iPod. Mm. And the other thing was I wasn't allowed to eat anything. I was allowed to eat ice Mm. and I was allowed an iPod. So those two became like the greatest pleasures I could find at that point in time. And there was a song by John Mayer called Heart of Life. Oh yeah, I love that song. Yeah. So I listened to that song for the first time in the ICCU and I really felt that song. Mm. Because at that point in time, I was like... uh, Pain fills your heart to the ground. So that line connected with me, resonated with me because um, the song talks about how you're going to go through so much in your life and it's mm. not always going to be a beautiful life or something that you imagined or wanted it to be. Sometimes it's going to go in the opposite direction. Mm. But, you know, ultimately the heart of life is good. Mm. So I, I resonated with that and I was like, you know what, I'm going through a tough time, but I feel like somewhere down the line things are going to get better so that's where my connection with music happened and Mm. then actual singing came post-cancer when I wasn't doing singing as a thing or I hadn't thought of being a musician but it was almost like a a freak accident where I was at another gig and somebody heard me singing Mm. and then uh, who later became my uh, bandmate at that point of time he told me why don't you come by the studio Mm. and uh, let's see you know, maybe something will work out and we could uh, try something. So I was hesitant at that point of time because I had not really thought of giving music a shot. Mm. Uh, but another thing came to my mind was, you know what? You've gone through something quite difficult for yourself. Right. 
maybe this is my second chance. Mm. And that's where I thought that, you know what, I'm going to take this mm. chance. Mm. And so I went to the studio and uh, we jammed and it just clicked from there. And we decided, hey, you know what, maybe uh, music is something that I can do as well. And then we just expanded to a full band. My first gig was at Blue Frog. I was overwhelmed because... And you you had nothing to do with music before this? Nothing, nothing at all. Mm. I mean, I used to sing in school. I, you know, sang, sang in the choir and all of those things. But I didn't think I was... That you would pursue it as, a, yeah, as, as work or a career. As or a, work or a career or, you know, have a band or mm. anything of that sort. Uh, but it was most definitely this jolt that cancer gave me. It jolted me to like, you know, do something. To grab life by the collar, that's mm. what I did. <laughs> right. And when you say that uh, chemo didn't react well to you, what was going on when you were going through the chemotherapy? Um, so I had the side effects of chemotherapy, which is uh, lost my hair, mm. all of those things. But because I think uh, I was pretty close to the last stages, mm. It's probably why my body wasn't taking, accepting chemo too well initially. Mm. So my immunity had really dropped mm. and I had started catching infections of the intestine. Mm. So mm. that's where, you know, again, it became a problem where doctors were like, okay, all of this is going on. Plus her immunity has dropped. So mm. we have to be really, really careful. Mm. So my first uh, chemo was the chemo that I wasn't doing too well with. And plus my veins had also started failing. By the second chemo, the doctors recommended an injection mm. that we could buy from Leelavati Hospital mm. that was to be given to me after my chemo because post-chemo, your immunity drops. So that was one injection that would boost my immunity so that, you know, uh, you're stable once again after chemotherapy. So after the second uh, chemo is when I started getting the injection. Plus, I had the port that mm. was put in as well. So that made the second chemo more pleasant than the mm. first chemo mm. and the complications had reduced. Mm. However, after the second chemo, I also had the bands mm. around my intestines. So after that surgery, I think uh, my favorite chemo was the third one, the last one. It was a breeze. Mm. Once the bands were done, once I had this injection, once I had the port, that chemotherapy was a breeze. Mm. Apart from the, you know, uh, minute side effects such as vomiting, loss of appetite, uh, all of those things. Uh, I think it got much better after I received uh, right. these things. And you remember the day where they told you that you're cancer free? Yeah. Yes. My first thought was I am going to go have some chemapow. <laughs> because I used to crave that in the hospital. And I remember one of my doctors... He was talking about chemo power and I couldn't eat. Like I said, I could only eat ice at one point of time. And I was like, can you just please not talk about it? And you see, like when I get out of this hospital, first thing I'm going to do is get um, chemo power. So that was like my first thought. Yes. But did was, you go and get chemo power? I, I asked my granny to make me some. I did get it. So eventually you got your chemo power. Eventually I got my chemo power. It was a very toned down version. Right. But I did. Right. Yeah. So, um, in fact, uh, I was happy, but I could feel the fatigue, mm. you know, of how much I had been fighting mm. it physically, mentally. I was happy, but I was also tired. Right. Of course, nine months. Yeah. And, uh, but then I was uh, pretty inspired to get back on track. Right. So I was like ready to go after that. You obviously said that cancer made you mentally stronger, but uh, what's like the biggest takeaway that you had from 
this fighting cancer and overcoming it? What's what do you think has been the biggest takeaway in your life? I think the biggest um, takeaway for me has been um, this lesson that I've learned in life is, um, and I'm gonna. Uh, take a line from a song which mm. is which says that it's not always rainbows and butterflies and as mm. a 17 year old girl you know that's what you think life is or any anybody at the age of 17 it's going to be beautiful you're going right. to go to college but what cancer taught me is that you know it's not always going to be rainbows and butterflies but it's not always going to be bad as well mm. And the bad things will pass eventually. Mm. And for me personally, what it taught me was, you know, there are going to be times in life when life itself, it's going to knock you down. Mm. But when that happens, I get back up on my feet, Mm. take the experience as a challenge, look it in the eye and then fight back. And I think uh, that's what has made me stronger Mm. to take everything in my stride and to understand that uh, this too will pass. Right. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for being here. It was really, really nice having you here and thank you for this wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. It was a great chat. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back soon with a new episode. You can catch Podcast MD by Keto on all the major platforms like Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Geo Savan and Hubhopper. You can also find it on eplog.media, our production partner. Please send us your feedback on Twitter using hashtag PodcastMDKeto. Leave us a review rating on iTunes and make sure you subscribe to the show. Goodbye. Thank you.